Good morning again. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56 will be our scripture reading for this morning. Before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you once again. We come to your word. We come to hear the words of life. Uh, We come to be renewed and refreshed in your gospel. Uh, We come uh, to hear from you. And uh, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds by your spirit, that we would indeed hear and believe and uh, be transformed by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and do that work in us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who, ha- who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When, the angel, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. What is greatness? Is it winning an election or winning a Nobel Prize or winning an Olympic gold? Is it getting the grade or getting the girl or getting the promotion? Is it being the fastest or the strongest or the smartest? Why do we insist on proving ourselves in these ways? What is it that drives us to want to excel like this, to succeed, to achieve greatness? Maybe we remember what once was. Life in the garden, perfection and wholeness and strength. We have this vague memory of things being different, being better, being good. Or or if not a memory, at least a, a longing for it to be so. Or uh, maybe we're trying to escape what is, sin and brokenness and weakness, condemnation and shame. When we value power and position, strength and status, we tend to feel weak and unimportant. The human condition is one of shame and condemnation, and at the same time, a, a feeling of powerlessness to do anything about it. I mean, no matter how good we look on the outside, we are still sinful and broken. And even if we think we have everybody else fooled, uh, we know it ourselves. No matter how successful we are, we cannot heal the deep hurts. We cannot cure the sickness of our hearts. And I think that this, this is the real reason why we are constantly trying to gain power to prove ourselves. If only we can do something to show that we have value. If only we can do something to make ourselves look good, to make something of ourselves, to become somebody. This this is the world's gospel after all, right? Work hard and you can become somebody. Use whatever powers are at your disposal and work the system and you can make something of yourself. This is the way of the world, right? This is the way of this present age. If I want to be great, I amass for myself power and reputation, and I get everybody around me to serve me. Uh, you may remember uh, at one point Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, uh, he, he had done it, right? And he was up on his rooftop looking out over his kingdom, and he said, Is, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You'll note that that boast did not turn out well for Nebuchadnezzar if you read the rest of the story. Uh, but you see, when we live by the world's gospel, work hard and you can become somebody, Uh, If we've made it, we tend to boast and lord it over others. And if we haven't made it, we tend to cower or complain. Uh, We live in fear of those whom we deem worthier than ourselves. We often are embittered by the success of those around us. 
We seek to imitate successful people in the hopes that maybe uh, we might gain a little bit of their glory by doing some of the things that they do or, or even wearing the clothes that they wear. The power and popularity of this world, that the glory of this world has hold of our hearts. And we need the glory of another to break in. Well, God in the gospel upends the world's values. The world values strength and status, power and popularity. The world values success and achievement. Uh, the, the, the rich and the powerful and the smart and the funny and the beautiful and the talented, they tend to be on top and the rest of us feel like bottom feeders, wishing we could be somebody we are not. Now, I, I don't know where you find yourself on that scale. Uh, maybe you've made it in life and you feel pretty good about yourself and about your successes. Um, or maybe you're riddled with a sense of failure and shame and unimportance. But whatever the case, you, you need to know this, right? That God in the gospel upends the world's values. And he does that uh, by saving through weakness, by exalting the humble, and by fulfilling his promises for his servants who believe. That's actually going to be our outline this morning. Morning, You'll notice if you turn to the back of your bulletin where our outline normally is, there's nothing there. But this is our outline. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, God saving through weakness, exalting the humble, fulfilling his promises for his servants who believe. Saving through weakness, exalting the humble, fulfilling his promises for his servants who believe. First, saving through weakness. Look again at verse 26. Verse 26 begins, In the sixth month, uh, in the sixth month of what, you may ask, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, we, we saw that in the beginning of chapter 1 last week. So in the sixth month of the pregnancy of one who was once barren, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So again, in the, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin who uh, was old and barren but was now pregnant by God's power. And at that time, the angel Gabriel now comes to Mary. And he greets her. He says, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, our passage this morning, these verses here echo uh, so many Old Testament texts that uh, if we were to simply read all the Old Testament texts that are echoed in these 30 verses, we would be here all morning just reading uh, Old Testament texts, which could be fun, but we're not going to do that. Um, there's, there's one that I want to draw your attention to, and it's actually probably not one that you would expect. It's, it's in Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, uh, Israel is oppressed by their enemies, and uh, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. And says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Mary's interaction with the angel here in Luke 1 actually follows many, uh, it follows the pattern of Gideon's interaction with the angel in 
Judges chapter 6. Um, so uh, it begins with the promise of God's presence, the Lord is with you. Uh, it has a question, uh, how can this be? And a declaration of impotence. Uh, right? Gideon says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Uh, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Uh, then there's a second time, there's God's, God's promise of his unique presence. Uh, there's a mention of finding favor with God in both passages. Gideon asks for a sign. Uh, Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but she gets one in verse 28, or verse uh, 36. We'll talk about that in a minute. And here's the point, that uh, in, in the Old Testament, there are many different types of stories. Uh, two in particular, though, are relevant uh, to our passage this morning. Obviously, there are birth announcements uh, again and again, right, where God promises a child uh, typically to a barren woman. But then there are also commissioning stories, right, where God commissions someone that he is raising up uh, to be a part of his plan. And uh, both of these stories culminate in Luke chapter 1. Well, why? Well, because of the promise in Genesis 3, which was read earlier. Uh, You may remember that promise, right, that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And so Mary, here in Luke 1... Uh, is both, on the one hand, the mother of the promised child, the mother of the promised child, but therefore she also plays a role uh, in the redemption of Israel. Now, she's not the redeemer, right? Don't don't mishear what I'm saying, Uh, but she has a role to play. God has given her a role, and he's raising her up to play that role. So the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to commission her, Uh, As the Lord was with Moses and Joshua and Gideon and many others, so the Lord would be with Mary. What is her role? Well, look at verse 31. There the angel says, uh, Do not be afraid, Mary. Uh, This is verse 30. For you have found favor with God. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, The angel goes on to say that the one whom she would conceive would be great, the son of the Most High. He would sit on the throne of his father David. He would reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there would be no end. You see, as God promised to use Gideon to free Israel from oppression, God promises to use Mary to raise up the Messiah to restore the kingdom to Israel. And this is no small commission in either case, either for Gideon or for Mary. So Gideon says, how can this be? Right? My clan is the weakest. I'm the least. Mary says something similar. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? What is she saying? She says, I am powerless to have a child here. I know how these things work. Right? That's not something I can do, at least not by myself anyway. Now, Mary was not barren. Right? The, the typical Old Testament story is of a barren woman who goes for years without a child. She prays and prays, and, and finally God intervenes. He comes and he gives his promise, and then he fulfills that promise. Uh, that was true for Sarah. It was true for Rebecca. It was true for Rachel. It was true for Hannah. It was true for others in the Old Testament. This was true for Elizabeth. Right? Luke chapter 1, verse 7. Zechariah and Elizabeth had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years we're told. And one of the points of all of those stories is that we, what, what we cannot do in our own strength, God promises to do and then does. Right? What for man is impossible is possible with God. Uh, that's why the angel mentions Elizabeth at this point, verse 36. Elizabeth's conception 
proves, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary's not barren on the one hand. She hasn't prayed for decades for a child. Uh, But if Elizabeth was powerless to conceive a child, how much more was Mary? Verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? I can't get pregnant, God. Uh, Literally, she says, I have not known a man. And what's God's answer? God's answer is, you're right. You are powerless. You can't do this. But, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God is going to act by His Spirit to bring about His promise. God is saying, you're right, Mary, you can't do this, but I will empower you by the Spirit for this work. And this is the way God always works. He works through human weakness. He displays His power through human powerlessness. Uh, In fact, what we see here is God promises to become weak to be born a helpless, vulnerable baby. The God of all power, God omnipotent, takes on human weakness. The infinite becomes an infant. The omnipotent becomes impotent, a helpless babe lying in a manger. And of course, as we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus' life is characterized by weakness. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. Eventually, he goes to the cross. He dies in weakness. Paul says he was crucified in weakness, 2 Corinthians 13.4. He was arrested and mocked and beaten and abused and oppressed and nailed to a tree in weakness, where he died a slow and torturous death of suffocation and shame. Now, if you were God, just pretend with me for a minute, right? Uh, Or imagine, don't pretend. Um, Uh, If you were God and you were to show up in your world, you wouldn't have shown up like that. We all know if, if we had even a fraction of God's power, pain and suffering would not be on our agenda. We would live a life of comfort and ease. But Jesus comes in weakness. He shows up in weakness. And there he suffers not just sharing in our weakness, but taking on the root of all of our pain and all of our suffering, taking on our sin and its curse before God, suffering the wrath of the Father. He died and he was buried in a tomb and he was so weak, his dead body had to be taken down from a tree and carried to a grave and left for dead. And of course, it's right there that God displays his power to save. God's power to save is shown in in bringing life to Elizabeth's barren womb. God's power to save is shown in bringing life to Mary's virgin womb. And God's power to save is shown supremely in God's bringing life to Jesus' dead body. See, it is precisely where we are most powerless that God displays his power, which is why Paul can say that when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's when I recognize my weakness that God shows up. See, the world values power, right? Raw human worldly power, strength and smarts and beauty and humor and social connections and academic degrees, right? Whatever. 
But God upends the world's values by saving through weakness. The weakness of the virgin womb and the weakness of the crucified Messiah. God in the gospel not only upends the world's values by saving through weakness, but also by exalting the humble. Now Mary was, up to this point, nobody special. She was likely, though we don't really know, she was likely a teenaged, unwed mother-to-be. She was a girl in Jewish society, so she was on the bottom of the social ladder in those days, hence the, the daily Jewish prayer Uh, You may have heard it, right? God, I thank you that you did not create me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Uh, That that didn't put Mary in great company. And now she was an unwed mother-to-be. Everyone around her would have assumed that either she slept with Joseph before marriage, which would have been scandalous in and of itself, or she was unfaithful to Joseph, which would have been tragic. You know, either way, Mary would have a reputation for the rest of her life and not a good one. But she accepts that, saying simply in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And she immediately goes to visit Elizabeth, her cousin. Uh, when she does, the, the, the prenatal John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and blesses Mary uh, three times. Mary responds to John and Elizabeth with a song. And Mary's song is is interesting for lots of reasons. Uh, But one reason, she she praises God for exalting the humble and for humbling the proud. So uh, verses 51 to 53 in Mary's song say this. uh, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble, humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, think about her song for a minute, right? What we've seen so far in Luke is is we've seen two women uh, get pregnant. True, one was barren and the other was a virgin, so both uh, pregnancies are pretty amazing. Uh, Both are great things. That's what Mary calls them in verse 49. Uh, But where did all this come from about scattering the proud, and bringing down the mighty, and filling the hungry, and sending the rich away empty. Where did Mary get this? What is she singing about? I think Mary recognizes what it's sometimes easy for us to forget. She recognizes that there's a bigger picture here. Uh, She has heard the words of the angel well. Uh, This is not about Mary. This is about God's kingdom, verse 33. Uh, This is about God's mercy to Israel, verse 54. This is about God's promises to Abraham, verse 55. Mary knows that this is the beginning of God putting things right. The proud and the mighty and the rich who often use their power and position and wealth uh, for self-promotion and self-indulgence, those who often oppress the weak and the poor and the hungry, when God sets up His kingdom, His just rule, The oppressors will be cast down, and the oppressed will be exalted. And if we think about it rightly, this is really what happened in the resurrection of Jesus. He who was despised and rejected by men, wrongfully despised and rejected by men, was given the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And of course, this is what will happen at Jesus' return when God's kingdom comes in its fullness and the corruption of this world is undone and society will be turned on its head. See, the way we think uh, in life is, is the one who exalts himself will be exalted. Right? That's how you get exalted, right? You, you work hard. You shed a lot of blood, sweat, and tears until you get to the place that you're, you're aiming for, until you climb the ladder. We think the one who humbles himself, who, who we hear that word, we think the one who lets himself be trampled on or, or who doesn't promote himself or push his own agenda, well, he will be humbled. That's the way it works, right? Of course, Scripture teaches just the opposite. The one who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Why? Well, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God takes people who are lowly and exalts them. Why does he do that? 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God exalts the humble so that it is abundantly clear who gets the glory, so that no one may boast before him. Well, God in the gospel not only upends uh, the world's values by saving through weakness and by exalting the humble, but also by fulfilling his promises. Now, we've already touched on this, but let me point it out. What, what God is doing here right, is not, not just for Mary. God is fulfilling his promises to save his people. He is, uh, this is about God restoring the throne of David, the kingdom of Israel, verses 32 and 33. This is about God remembering his mercy to Israel, his promises to Abraham, verses 54 and 55. Now, you know, we, we love power and popularity, so when God saves through weakness and exalts the humble, it's clear how that uh, upends the world's values. But how does God fulfilling his promises do that? Well, think about Israel's condition, right? Uh, David uh, was the high point of Israel's past. He had reigned in Jerusalem. He had ushered in a period of relative national peace. He names his son Solomon, uh, which uh, comes from the Hebrew word for peace, because that's what God had brought through David. But beginning with Solomon's sons, uh, the nation begins to break apart. And other nations, once again, begin to oppress Israel. Eventually, they go into exile in Babylon. Uh, they return, but they never quite regain independence. And even in Mary's day, Israel was under the boot of Rome, right? There, there, there is no kingdom to speak of. Israel has tried to fight against their oppressors again and again. The uprisings and revolts were frequent, but every time they were at best short-lived and at worst a complete failure. Here's how God's promises, God fulfilling his promises, upends the world's values. Israel is powerless to restore the kingdom. They are powerless to throw off their oppressors. God had to intervene. Ultimately, all Israel could do was look to God to save. This is why the real gospel is so hard for many of us to accept. The world's gospel is work hard and you can make something of yourself. And that's tempting. We like that because we stay in control and we get the glory. God's gospel is this. You're powerless to save yourself. 
You're a slave to sin. Your reputation is, is covered over with shame. You're so deep in sin, you can't dig yourself out. And so Jesus comes, mighty to save, the scriptures say. And yet he comes in weakness to display God's power. He comes as a servant, allowing God to exalt him. He comes to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to save us from our sin. When it comes to salvation, right, God does it, not us. He saves. We are saved. He makes promises. We believe them. He fulfills his promises. We rejoice in his work. All self-reliance is thrown out the window. Uh, The world values power. Jesus comes in weakness to save the weak. The world values reputation. Jesus comes in humility to be despised and rejected, to save those who have nothing to boast in before the Father. The world values self-sufficiency. Jesus goes to the cross and says, Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he goes into the grave and is raised by the power of God so that we who are powerless to save ourselves might be saved by that same resurrection power. God in the gospel not only upends the world's values by saving through weakness, by exalting the humble, but also by fulfilling his promises, doing for us what only he can do. And finally, he does those things for his servants who believe. Whom does God save? Whom does he exalt? For whom does God fulfill his promises? Not presidents and prime ministers who do great things. Not rock stars and movie stars who make millions. Not the great and the powerful because they are great and powerful. In fact, Jesus says, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet here's the problem, right? I don't know about you, but I have spent my whole life trying to gain power and ability and trying to gain a good reputation and not a bad one. I've done that through devious means. When I was a kid, I'd I'd lie and I'd cheat and I'd steal and I'd boast in the wrong that I did. And I've done that through moral means, right? We, we can boast in our good just as quickly as we can boast in our wrong. We can boast in our Bible knowledge and in our theology and in our church just as quickly as we can boast in anything else. And our society, right, it's, it's all about reputation from movie stars to rock stars, from Facebook to Twitter, from politics to the pews, from celebrity apprentice to celebrity pastors, right? We love the glory that comes from reputation, We want to be known. We want to work ourselves out of our humble condition and into fame. That's the American dream. You can start at the bottom and you can work your way to the top. And even if that fame, right, isn't fame on a worldwide level, isn't fame like we're on the cover of Time magazine or in the movies, right, but it's in our own little corner of the world, our own little circles. We just want people to like us. We want people to know us. We want them to look up to us, to think well of us. And you know when you see it, right? I mean, uh, I see it when I'm having a conversation and I start to worry if what I said just made any sense whatsoever. And did that person realize it made no sense whatsoever, right? And, and what do they think of me now that I've said something that made no sense whatsoever? And you begin to obsess over those little things. Why do we do that? We want people to think well of us. We don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want to come off foolish or silly. So we use our power, whatever that is. It may be simply the power of our words. 
It may be money. It may be a nice smile, right? Whatever it is, we use our power, our strength, our ability to gain popularity and position. But what's interesting is, uh, as we read through this story, at least, Mary was not like that. In fact, uh, Mary is kind of the, the quintessential disciple here. There, there are three things about Mary's response to God's work that should guide us at this point. And, and the first is that Mary believed the promise. Uh, when, when Gabriel tells Mary she's going to bear a son, uh, she does ask a question, uh, but she's not doubting the angel. Uh, unlike Zechariah, she believes the angel. Remember, Zechariah asks back in verse 18, How can I know? That this will happen, for I am old and my wife is advanced in years. Mary doesn't ask, How can I know? She just asks, How will this be? She's not doubting that, she just doesn't understand how. Sometimes in the Christian life, we hear that, you know, you shouldn't ask questions, right? Just, just believe, don't, don't ask questions. But, but what we see here is actually there are different kinds of questions, aren't there? Zechariah's question was simply a refusal to believe the impossible. Mary is striving to understand, right? She, she wants to understand how. How, how is this going to happen, God? Questions are actually an important part of the Christian life. Asking them and wrestling through them. If you have questions, good. Ask them. <laughs> Mary believed. Not that she didn't have questions, but she believed And we know uh, that uh, both because of the contrast with Zechariah, you may remember that he was kind of mildly rebuked for his unbelief. He was struck mute for nine months. Um, But we also know that because in verse 45, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's interesting, uh, later in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 27, uh, a woman comes to Jesus and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary is blessed, according to Jesus, not because she bore him and nursed him. Mary is blessed because she believed the word of God and acted in light of it. She received the promises by faith. Why is that? Well, because it is through faith that God's power is at work in us. And Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that the Ephesians would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. The same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead is at work in us who believe. Mary believed the words of the angel Gabriel, and so the Holy Spirit comes upon her. The same language, by the way, is used about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the whole church. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary to empower her for service, the same way the Holy Spirit later comes upon us to empower us for service. Slightly different way, but, you know, similarly. You see, real power is not found in human strength and ingenuity and social standing. Real power is found through faith as we believe in the work of Christ for us and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet Mary not only believes God's promises, she also embraces her calling. Uh, Mary was willing to humble herself as a servant. Verse 38 again uh, says, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And greatness comes through serving. Uh, 
this is not about, um, you know, just accept your position in life even if you don't like it. Uh, it it's actually bigger than that. It's the recognition that, that worldly position is irrelevant. That in the end, we are all servants of the Lord, either faithful or unfaithful, servants nonetheless. And when we strive for one worldly position or another, when we strive for status and a name and recognition, we are forgetting what we truly are, servants. Now, that both is and is not a lowly position at the same time. It's lowly in the world's eyes to serve, but it's greatness in God's eyes. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to be great, you must become a servant. Why? Because that is what Jesus was. Right? He was a servant. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. Voluntary servanthood is true greatness in the kingdom. And the moment we strive after social position and social standing, the moment we strive to look good in the eyes of those around us, we are not following the way of Jesus, but the way of the world. Do you know yourself as a servant? Do you embrace your calling as a servant? Whatever you might do in life, right? Whatever your job, whatever your vocation, uh, whatever you're doing, right? You are a servant of the Lord. And you're called to serve those around you in your service to him. Do you embrace your calling as a servant, or are you still striving for worldly greatness? Striving to get on top? Mary believed the promises. She embraced her calling, and finally, she rejoiced in blessing. I want to I go back to verse 48 for just a minute. Uh, verse 48 Mary, uh, beginning of verse 6, she's, she begins her song, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now, all, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, we've already said that in Mary's day, people would have called her immoral. Right? They would have considered her to have been unfaithful. She was pregnant outside of marriage. She would have lived much of the next 33 years, at least, with people whispering behind her back. But she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Think, think about these two things. First, Mary clearly has this long view in mind. <laughs> Because as people start to figure out that she's pregnant, they're not going to call her blessed. But she was okay with the rejection of men now because she knew what God was doing in the long term. All generations will call me blessed. And of course now, today, 2,000 years later, what we're doing just that. We're recognizing what God did, what God did for Mary. And second, notice, uh, what is the name that Mary hoped for? All generations will call me, right? Not all generations will sing of my greatness. Not all generations will sing of my mighty deeds. But all generations will call me blessed. This is the name that the humble hope for. Right? The, the proud hope for a different name. We want to make a name for ourselves. Mary wants to be known as blessed. 
to, to be blessed is passive. Mary didn't bless herself, right? God blessed her. And her identity is found in being blessed, in receiving from her Father in heaven. Where do you, where do you find your identity? Uh, in what do you boast? How are you seeking to make a name for yourself? When in life do you find yourself worried what people might think or what they might say? Try this on for an identity, right? I, I am an undeserving, powerless sinner. But Jesus bore my weakness and shame in the cross, and he rose in power and glory. And because of him, I am blessed by God. This is my name, right? This is my boast. Blessed by God, forgiven and loved and indwelt by the Spirit, totally undeserving, but totally blessed in Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that your blessing would be more important to us than all of the accolades of the world. We pray, Father, that that would be our joy and our delight, whether the world praises us or tears us down, that we would know that that we have your blessing in your Son. Help us to rest and rejoice in that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.